Welcome everybody back to the Rooted and Edified show. I'm your host, Caddy Elias, and you are joining us for a special episode, a great one called New Year, New You. We're going to get ready to help you out in obtaining your goals. And to help you do that, we have a very special woman who is amazing, who loves God, and who can help you know how to get to your goals. We have Dr. Tracy Phillips with us. Woo, happy dance for you. Before we introduce more about Dr. Tracy Phillips and what she's doing and we get into discussion, I want to tell you a little bit more about this podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Beautifully Rooted, which is a Christian mental health and education corporation. And the Rooted Netified show is a fun-loving, no-facade, Christian, conservative, Bible-believing worldview show for men and women who want to hear real-life testimonies, very interesting topics, who want to hear talents that are within the church, and also who want to discuss theology. We want to help encourage you to grow deeper in your walk with Christ and more mature as you go along your walk. As a reminder, we put out both an audio podcast and a video podcast. So whichever is your preference, it is available to you. If you want to know more about this podcast, check out our website, which is www.beautifullyrooted.com, which is spelled B-E-Y-O-U. Let's jump in. Let's tell you a little bit more about this Dr. Tracy Phillips. You're going to want to know more about her. We're very excited to have you. So thanks again for joining us. Dr. Tracy Phillips has a PhD in counselor education from Regent University and a certification in higher education from Harvard University. She is a licensed master's level social worker, which we are excited for, fellow social worker. She has been teaching and counseling for over 18 years. She currently serves as a program coordinator in a university PhD program, and she is the owner of Right Vision Consulting LLC, where she provides career and life coaching and nonprofit leadership training to individuals and nonprofit companies. Hopefully you'll tell us more about that. She's also, amazingly, a certified grant specialist, and she is an active in her community as a corporate trainer for Blexit, a nonprofit organization, and hopefully you'll tell us more about that. Why don't we jump in? Can you tell us more about a little bit more about yourself, about your organizations that you help out with and that you own? First, thank you, Kat, for having me here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Hello, everyone. I am, first and foremost, I'm a child of God. God has blessed me in many ways over the years. I'm a single mom. My son is 31 years old. I've been a single mom since he was a year old. So I raised him completely by myself, worked single, working mother, trying to make ends meet, and then And when he was about 12 years old, I realized that I wanted to give him a better life. And I decided to go back to school to get a degree so that I could get a better job. It was really just a means to an end. But once I went back to school, I kind of caught the bug and I found my love of social work and counseling. And then I found my love of teaching. And so it just, in order to be a teacher and an educator in higher education, which was my field, I had to get a PhD. I wasn't one of those who got my PhD because I wanted to be called a doctor or, you know, it was really literally because I loved love teaching and I just wanted to continue doing it. So over the years, that's what I've been doing, teaching and counseling. As you said earlier, I opened up an organization, an LLC called Right Vision. And really it was born out of helping my students in their career transitions once they got their degrees. And then it transitioned into doing a lot of life coaching. And then over time, I guess as my name got in the community, I started getting invited to nonprofits to come in and teach their leaders about those same principles. It transitioned to corporate training about a year and a half, two years ago. I started with Blexit. It's a nationwide nonprofit organization. I'm focused on helping minorities in underserved communities. And I'm sure you're familiar with it, Blexit.org. And I am the corporate trainer for Blexit now on the national level. Personally, as you know, Kat, I love to travel. That's my thing. My mission is to see as much of the world that God has made before I leave it. And I love seeing all 
the pictures of all the places that you're at. Do you have one of those maps where you have the little pin in it everywhere that you've gone? My map is up here. There you go. Mind map. Very nice. Okay. You are a dynamic woman. There is no doubt you're a part of so much. And so let's start off with a personal note, if possible. Those joining us today are probably tuning in because they want to hear about how did they get to their goals. That's what we're going to help them out. A new year, a new you. You can finally get those goals that you've been going after or you make some new goals. So my question to start off with is, have you achieved all the goals that you have wanted to achieve or do you have more that you are looking forward to? There are always, always more goals to strive for. I think that if anyone gets to the point where they feel like they've achieved everything, life can get pretty boring pretty fast. So I always have goals. And those are career-wise, there are some areas in which I have said, okay, I've gotten where I wanted to go, but there are always other goals. And for example, personally, honestly, Kat, I'd like to lose about 15 more pounds. <laughs> That's a goal. <laughs> it's always good to get fit and get in shape and it's good for your body. Exactly. So what happened with many people during COVID, I sat home and watched television. I put on about almost 26 pounds, almost 30 pounds. This last September, I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I got up, I started moving. I started you know, watching what I ate and I was able to get rid of 15 of those pounds. So I was very excited, but I still have about 15 more to go. That's a personal goal that I have. And there are others in my career that I want to do. And really they're not so centered anymore on things I want to accomplish. They're more centered on things I want to leave behind, a legacy that I want to leave behind. So when I leave this in my mind, as I get older, I'm more centered on how do I want to be remembered? So it's not so much about having a degree or things I've done or where I went to school. It's more about how I affected people. There's a principle called rippling. It means basically as you go through life, your life ripples into the lives of others. And those can be small ripples or big ripples, but they still happen. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mitch Albom's book, The Five People You Meet in Heaven. Mm -mm. I highly recommend it. It's also a movie, so you can read the book or you can watch the movie. And it was made a few years ago. It really is about the principle of rippling. It's about a man who felt like he didn't do anything for anyone in life. But when he died, the five people he rippled, whose lives he rippled into, they appeared to him and so forth. My goals now are about the ripples that I leave, the people I affect. I ask my students to do a personal mission statement, one that they want like as an epitaph. Wow. And, and I think that's something we all should do. Just sit down and think, how do you want to be written? It doesn't have to be an, a eulogy. We're not talking about a eulogy. We're talking about something that could fit on a headstone. Because a hundred years from now, when someone walks across your headstone, the only thing they're going to know about you is what's in, written there. I had to think before I could ask my students to do it, I had to do it myself. And my mission or my epitaph is very simple. I wanted to say she helped people reach their potential. That's it. So that's my goal is to continue to help people reach their potential in any area of their life, health, wealth, career, relationships, most important self. And I mean, I think that fits completely with the Christian beliefs and the understanding of discipleship. So now let's talk about growth overall, goals overall. Do you think that growth is something that believers should be concerned with? Is it necessary for believers? Do you think it's a part of Christianity? Actually, growth, it's not only a part of Christianity, it's actually scriptural. I mean, honestly, God desires us to grow in our faith. He desires us to grow in our walk. He desires for us to grow in our relationship with him and in our fellowship with others. So if he's desiring for us to grow in all those areas, why shouldn't these principles apply to our everyday life? In uh, Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, it says, in your going, make disciples. The translation of that in your going, it says, go and make disciples. But the translation of that is in your going. It means in your everyday life. So if you're not growing in your going, then your pool of disciples to be made 
is going to remain very small. Great so point. you have to continue to grow so that you can go make more disciples. That's right. I think there's lots of scriptures that talk about how important it is to mature in our walk. We start off with milk and then we move on to solid food. What would you say to a believer who thinks they are good enough, the way they are, they don't really have room to grow, or maybe they feel like, well, they're being still, but more so they're just kind of coasting through Christianity. What would you tell that believer? Well, first and foremost, what I would tell them is to pray and ask God to reveal himself to them more. Seek a deeper relationship with God and be open and willing to go where God leads you. And the key to that is truly to be open. As you know, you and I met, for example, when I did the keynote a couple months ago for the ACHHS conference. That was not something that I sought. And I shared this with you in the testimony is that months before I was in prayer, there was a scripture and a song that kept in, and it said, you know, take me deeper, take me to a place where my feet have never wandered, where my faith could be made stronger. And I started praying that in earnest. And the next thing I knew in asking for that, God started opening doors. A few months later, I'm meeting you in Indianapolis and I'm doing a keynote where I'm touching and meeting other people. If you feel like you're still and you're not sure if the, where you want to go, what the next step is, because I don't think being still is something people want. I think it's more out of either fear of not knowing what's next or being uncertain of what God wants them to do. But to conquer both of those is the same. You pray, you talk to God and don't necessarily seek the direction. Seek God first because he will bring the direction. And honestly, from my own experience, the direction may be something you had no idea where you would end up. So often. So often. So often. <laughs> or that you would have chosen necessarily, right? Exactly. But God knows. In our natural mind, we can't know what amazing blessings that God has for us. Only he knows. The scripture that really feeds to this is 1 Corinthians 2 and 9. I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor heart and entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even conceive of where God wants to take us. That's why God says, don't seek out the place, seek him because he'll be the one to direct our paths to where he wants us to go. If you feel like, okay, am I good enough? I would say, pray and ask God to expand those borders, ask God to guide you. And then I believe that God will do that. And you'll find yourself not being still any longer, moving very quickly, usually. And I was thinking Jeremiah 29, 11 reminds us that God has plans for good for us. We keep that in mind. So when he's calling us to things that we're unfamiliar about, or we're fearful about, or whatever is going on, even though we don't know that, we know that God has plans for good for us. When I think about that passage, I think about God was speaking to people who who were exiled and didn't want to be where they were, but God told them to make life. The idea that he has plans for good for them, even when they're at a place that they don't want to be at. God has an overall plan, so we love that. The question that I was thinking about as we were talking was, I am asking a question about people who have done some introspection and had some insight, but I'm thinking about what would let somebody know that they're not growing? What would be kind of red flags to them? I think usually it's a sense of discontent. It's a sense of boredom from a psychological perspective, and you and I know this, depression, anxiety, even to the point of suicidal ideation. If you start thinking, you know, my life is over, it can't get any better, that's a huge indication that you're not growing. I was thinking even a low-grade depression where they're not terribly depressed, but just not very happy. Even in the actual, if you're sleeping a lot, you know, I have a friend who I can always tell when they are 
going into some sort of depression because they come home from work and they go straight to bed at like 4 35 o'clock in the afternoon that's a great point so those physical things now we set out every single year almost every single person sets out every single year new goals at the very least we do some introspection about it how did this past year go what did i like about it what did i do what was my character like what did i achieve and not achieve what do i want to achieve in the future how do i want my character to be things like that why do you think that growth is so hard to initiate why do we set goals so often and then we just fall short of the goals that we set that's a great question you mentioned introspection and i want to take it deeper because true introspection has to begin with self-awareness you have to become aware of not just the behaviors but the triggers to those behaviors so i'll use myself as an example as i mentioned earlier i was able to lose 15 pounds and i still got about 15 to go before i feel like i've reached where i want to go i realized it wasn't just about losing the weight. What I realized was that part of my problem was I'm an emotional eater. I eat when I'm bored. I don't eat when I'm angry or mad. It's not that kind of emotion. Probably when you're working hard, you're typing, you're doing lots of things and something monotonous. Ironically enough, it's when I'm sitting in front of the television. Also, even to go deeper, I started to realize when I did that introspection and self-awareness that that behavior started as a child because my family used to always eat in front of the TV. I'm aging myself now, but we used to put the trays in front of the TV in the living room and everybody sit down and eat. All the young ones are like, what tray? What kind of tray are you talking about? (laughs) What happened is as a child, that became a habit. So now, even as an adult, when I'm watching television or watching a movie, there's an automatic trigger for me to eat something, even if I'm not hungry. Once I realized what those triggers were, then I could begin to make the changes. I started having to retrain myself from that habit and also recognize the boredom, which triggered the eating. That's what I'm saying is that you have to understand the deeper meaning behind the behavior. If you don't, what happens is people don't do that. They just say, I want to lose weight. I'm going to exercise three times a week, you know, whatever that is. But as soon as the emotions that trigger the behaviors reoccur, as soon as those triggers reoccur, the habits will as well. And that's what happens. So what I would recommend is seek to change the meaning, seek that self-awareness and understand before you seek to change the habit. I didn't lose the weight until I recognized what was causing me to put on the weight and change those behaviors. And once I did that, that the weight started coming off because the behaviors changed. I think we see that a lot of times in counseling and in the mental health world, in human behavior, what we see a lot of times is that people look to treat the symptom instead of the root cause. That's kind of how my brain is interpreting what you're saying is going a little bit deeper than just the symptoms. The symptoms are important, but they're more like a signal to you that something is going on and you go deeper to look at the root cause that's causing the symptom. We don't panic and freak out about the symptom. We just take it as a sign. And then we go to the root cause. You start working with that and then your symptoms kind of change. Exactly. And that's how you change your behavior. That was a whole lot of therapy for free for all those that are listening. There you go. CBT 101, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. So let's jump in and talk about specific goal setting, life goals. Do you have any pointers on how one might decide on which goals they should make? Let's just start off there. First, I would say set long-term goals, which is usually about six months to a year out, and then set short-term goals. Now, that's interesting because I don't think most people would think about long-term goals being six months to one year. They would think about short-term goals being six months to one year. They would think long-term goals are 10 years from now, my five-year plan, 10-year. No, no. See, long-term goals is usually six months to a year, and I'll explain why. First and foremost, I have to say this. 
When you're setting your goals, begin with the end in mind. Visualize yourself with what you want. And I'll give you an example of that later. Use the long-term goals to keep you motivated when the challenges come, but use the short-term goals to be attainable and to reward yourself when you reach them. And those short-term goals can be daily. We're not talking about, that's that's why you said long-term can be five years. That means people think short-term goal is six months to a year. That's not true. A short-term goal for me is, I'm going to exercise for an hour and a half tonight. Set those goals. So one week at a time, one day at a time. And again, what I normally do is each day when I know, I say, okay, this is what I'm going to eat. And I'm going to exercise for an hour and a half tonight. Now, when that happens and I meet that goal, I feel good about myself. And it makes doing it the next day a little bit easier because I'm like, okay, I know I can do it. The other thing is if a day comes and I don't meet that goal, it's just that one day. It doesn't mean my whole life is over. I'm going to balloon the 15 pounds overnight so I can get up the next day and I can start over and start with that short-term goal again. Now, when you're setting those goals, I recommend the SMART method. S-M-A-R-T. The goals should be specific. They should be measurable. They should be attainable. They should be, this is a big one, realistic, (laughs) and they should be timely. So in other words, sit down and think, what are the specific goals I want to do? The big goal can be, again, I'm just using myself as an example. The big goal can be, I want to lose 15 pounds. That's the specific goal. When people say, I want to lose weight, that's not specific enough. Pound is losing weight, but how much weight do you want to lose? And we'll get into the why later, but how much weight do you want to lose? Measurable. How are you measuring that weight loss? I weigh myself every single day. Now I know some people it doesn't work. And I'm not telling everyone to do what I do. It works for me because when I get on that scale every morning and I can see it go up or down an ounce, I know that I have actually reached a goal or I need to do something to reach that goal for that one day. Attainable, if I'm saying I want to lose 15 pounds over the course of the next six months to a year, I'm only trying to lose a few ounces a day or a pound a week. I can lose a pound a week. That's attainable. And it's realistic. I'm not going to tell anybody I want to lose 50 pounds in six months because that's just unhealthy. (laughs) And of course, timely means that it can be done in a specific amount of time. Again, going back to the long-term and short-term goals. No, I love that. Just as a side note, after each baby that I've had, I've had to lose the weight. You don't get a special break other than some calories for a little bit of time through feeding. You have to lose the weight every single time. And I've had multiple babies. And that was one of the ways that I lost the weight was weighing myself daily. As a social worker for cardiology, my patients who had congestive heart failure had to weigh themselves every day. And before I used to think, oh, that's wrong. And you're going to obsess and all these things. So that's why I wouldn't do it. But I thought my patients have to do it because they need to see if they have water weight on them and the doctor can take care of them. Then I thought, you know what, if they can do it, I can do it and not obsess because I don't want to idolize that either. We shouldn't as Christians. I was in the same boat as you. I found myself motivated and encouraged by checking in and seeing and then making decisions off of that. And then actually, sometimes you can get too confident when you're getting your goals and then you release all the things that take you towards your goals and you get behind. So that kind of helped me to keep going and be motivated. Do you think it matters if you make one goal or a whole bunch of goals? If you're just an excited person who wants to change everything? I wouldn't say to set just one goal at a time. I wouldn't tell someone to do that. But again, using the SMART method to determine what's realistic to achieve. Very few people are able to change everything in their life. Only the Lord can do that. Only God can do that. Yes. I think that when you're looking at how many goals to set, start with what's 
again, use the SMART method. What's realistic? What's attainable? And you can build on that over time. So once you reach that one goal, you can then do another. If you try to do too much, you overwhelm yourself. And then what happens psychologically when you fail, you're that much harder on yourself than you would be. I think the thing is to set reasonable amounts of goals. I think that was excellent. I love that SMART method. I think it's very smart. So that's probably why it's called that. Any other advice, practical tips, thoughts on how one might actually keep and achieve the goals that they set? As I mentioned earlier, first and foremost, celebrate every win, celebrate every achievement, whether it's a couple of ounces lost. When I was going to school and getting my PhD, it was extremely overwhelming. At one point I worked four jobs. I was a single mom of a teenager and I was in school full time. I, you know, honestly, I look back and I'm thinking, did I really do that? You know, like Urkel, did I do that? You know? Huh? The thing is, what I did is I didn't focus on the big goal of, okay, I want to get this giant whatever degree. I did literally one assignment for one class at a time. And every time I finished an assignment, literally I used my little colored highlighter to celebrate the fact that I did one more post on Blackboard or I did one more paper. And little by little, as I celebrated each one, two things happened. One is that I was given something that made me feel good, but it also built my confidence in doing more. So celebrate every victory. The other thing I would recommend is find something tangible to keep you focused. Remember I mentioned early, begin with the end in mind, using that same example. So I'll give you two. When I was trying to lose the first 15 pounds, I had this dress in my closet that I absolutely loved and I could not wear it because I had put on too much weight. I bought that dress out and I hung it on my mirror in my bedroom. Every single time I walked past that dress, I was like, I'm going to wear that dress. And it affected what I ate. It made me say, I'm going to exercise. Do I want the bag of chips or do I want to wear the dress? Find something tangible. When I was in school again, working on my degree, I wanted to wear the TAM, the the fluffy hat that PhDs wear. I actually downloaded a picture of a TAM and put it on my desktop. So when I was frustrated and I was like, I can't do this, I'm tired, I just want to go to sleep. When I opened up my laptop, that TAM picture came up and I remembered, oh, I want to wear that fluffy hat. That was my goal. So whatever it is that the goal is, find something that tangibly represents what you want because you will feel discouraged. You will want to quit. You will want to say, nah, it's not worth it. But if you have that visualization, that will help you stay focused and give you the determination to get through and push yourself through. I love it. I definitely think our flesh wants to keep us from getting better in different ways. God wants us to grow. He wants us to grow closer to him, more like him, and have the fruit of the spirit, which a lot of times actualizes into practical things in our life. The devil definitely doesn't want us to reach those goals. He's going to put obstacles in the the way. We're going to have tests and trials come up. But one of the things that I love is that you are so positive and so focused. Instead of receding, you are just jumping in positivity and you're focusing on what you want and you're motivated in a positive way to go towards it. What do you think that we need to tell somebody or what should somebody remember who has trouble with that? They are really hard on themselves if they don't achieve every little goal or if they set a goal and they just, they don't get to it. What would you tell them that finds themselves feeling like a failure, guilty, just feeling really negative? First of all, I would I would tell them that they look to themselves, look to God and look around them. If they have support systems, if they have people who are helping and encouraging them, when you're feeling bad, having someone to talk to, having someone who can who, who can be that positive influence, you can do it. You're there. That really helps. 
But not everybody has that, unfortunately. And maybe they need to start building. That's, that is something important is that maybe that's part of their goal. That's where they start is building that accountability and that support system. Yes. And a lot of people do that. It's interesting how many people have negative influences in their life and they allow them to stay. I can honestly say... I lost a lot of friends when I was doing the things I wanted to do in life. Is that part of the weight that you lost? Was your friends? You're like, man, <laughs> yes. I lost 400 pounds. That was three different people. <laughs> Don't just stop making me laugh, Kat. But yeah, I lost a lot of friends during that process. Number one, because it wasn't that I let them go. It's that I would no longer allow their negativity to affect me and they walked away. That old adage of misery loves company is very true. What I found is people who were negative, when I stopped allowing their negativity to influence me, they got mad at me and they walked away. I replaced them with people who would encourage me, who would say, you can do this. The other thing is, of course, first and foremost, even before that is seek God because every encouragement we need as believers is in the word. And I stayed in the word because I lived in the word. I was just buried in it all the time. Like food. I was like, what do I need today? And then, of course, learn to encourage yourself. Stop the negative self-talk. Stop the self-condemnation. Recognize that we're all human. We're all flawed. We all make mistakes. It's not about the mistakes you make. It's about what you do with them. You pick yourself up and you move on. So you really have to challenge perfectionism. In one sense, you have to challenge that idea of being perfect, of not making any mistakes, because we know the Bible tells us all have sinned. None of us is perfect. And then also in that sense, we also need to challenge that black or white thinking that we have of either we are all good or all bad. We need to start thinking in terms of gray when it comes to those things. There's some things to be black and white on. Those are the absolutes. And there's some things that we need to think in grays. If I mess up a little bit, I'm all bad. You have to challenge that. Sometimes we have to challenge and take the thoughts captive that are not of Christ, which would be the thoughts of anxiety, which underlie that perfectionism, personality difficulties. One of the things I was thinking as, as you were speaking was more of the introspection piece and going deeper to the root causes, which might include that family of origin stuff of where we learn that negativity, because it's, sometimes it's very difficult for somebody who's negative to undo that negativity because that is wound up as they part are. of who their character is. And sometimes there's things that were going on when we were younger that we learned and that set a pattern that became a character and personality for us that have to be undone. We need to undo that. We have to first realize where is it coming from or start with the counseling piece. Um, any other recommendations you would think of for somebody who needs to undo the stuff that is keeping them from getting to these goals? Again, I mean, counseling is definitely helpful, but really just being honest with yourself is where those things came from. Not being avoidant. Yes. yes. And taking it about like, this is the truth of who, what's going on and who I am right now, knowing that the Lord has the power to transform. Every one of us before the Lord brought us to him, we were all a different person and he transformed us. And sometimes we have to go through continual transformation. So he has the power to do it. What about to the people who have family, friends, loved ones, or unlovely loved ones who must stick around or who they choose to keep in their circle for whatever reason? What can someone do, do you think, to not let that negativity influence so much of their thinking? You just said it. You can't always help who's around you, but you can 100% help or affect what they do to you. Again, not every negative person walked away. Some of them are still around. I can tell you some stories, but I won't because I'll get, you know, convicted. We won't name them right now. We won't name names. But what does it rhyme with? But what does it rhyme with? No, just kidding. So you can't always. I mean, these are family members. These are loved ones. But you don't have to allow them to infiltrate who you are. And the funny part, as I found, is that my positivity or my refusal to accept their negativity, if they didn't walk away, started to transform them because they would say, well, okay, you're 
okay, yeah, you're, you're doing good, you know? <laughs> okay, yeah, I can see that. I might be able to do that myself. Not just a matter of not taking what they have in, but being so positive and just being so, I love you, but I'm gonna love you from a distance. And it doesn't have to be a physical distance. It can be an emotional distance. I have plenty of people in my world who I love from an emotional distance because I don't allow who they are to influence who I am. And I do find that in many cases, who I am begins to influence who they are. That is very true. And sometimes we have to just accept people with their limitations, knowing that they're limited. We have to change our expectations of what that person can do or their validation that they're going to give us or not give us. One of the important things that I think that you're highlighting when you're in the ward so much and in your relationship with Christ is when our identity is found in Christ, when we let God God be who defines us. No one else has to. If we jump back just a little bit to rewarding ourselves for all the little milestones, uh, what do you think would be some some type of rewards? Well, I mean, it depends on what the goal is and what the reward is. I know for myself, I didn't reward myself with food. I chose not to because, again, I know my limitations. <laughs> The rewards I gave myself were if I could, I would go out and buy, you know, put on a, that cute outfit or go in the back of my closet to those jeans that didn't fit before. I think I had one really awesome day where I pulled out all the clothes in my closet. I had so many outfits and that didn't fit me a year before that fit me. But the better part was I had a bunch of clothes that I had bought in my bigger size that no longer fit me. So I pushed those to the back of the closet and it just felt good. Other things, I mean, it really just depends on the individual. It can be an internal reward. It can, to me, the reward is looking at the scale and feeling, feeling proud of myself. We live in a selfie world. Take that cute little selfie of you. <laughs> You know, and again, it depends. That really has to do a lot with losing weight, which is a lot of people's goal this time of year after the holidays. But there are others. When I graduated with each degree, you're going to love this. I took a major trip. And that was my reward to myself for reaching each of those milestones was that I, I was going to do something just for me. I saved up the money. Cost was not an issue. I earned this. And that's what I did. Figure out what it is that you like to do. Even something small. And I don't know that, you know, people drink, don't drink. I'm, I indulge in a nice glass of wine every once in a while. I purchased this really, to me at the time, expensive bottle of wine and I stuck it in the back of my pantry and it got dust on it over the first couple of years. And I saved that bottle to the day I defended my PhD. It took about two and a half, three years total. Well, actually, I'm sorry, four years, two years of coursework and two years of dissertation. So four years, that bottle stuck, stayed in the back of my closet, but I took it out. I rinsed it off. I put it in my fridge. And when I was doing my dissertation defense, I was looking at that bottle because I said, I am going to drink that bottle. And that's the point. Something you'll be excited about. Something that you specifically will be excited about. Watching a movie, um, your glass of wine that you have been saving up and you don't have an alcoholism problems, so it's totally fine. Maybe a little treat or a book you've been wanting to read or time space, time, or going to go see somebody that you haven't seen for a while, things like that. Those are all wonderful things I think that you can do. I think the biggest thing is don't downplay your success. Don't downplay it. When you reach the milestone, when you reach that, recognize you did this, you earned this. No, don't let anyone take it away from you and be proud of it. Celebrate. You did this. You earned it. 
Something else I was thinking about is that somebody might be listening now and they'd like to improve things. They'd like to improve their life. So they know now to go to prayer, see what the Lord has for you. What are some type of goals that you think that are good goals for people in general to set out for? Because I know when I was reviewing different scriptures, there were so many about growing closer to God. I'm thinking about the fruit of the spirit of developing patience and those things. Any ideas of different kinds of goals people might take in consideration that you think might be helpful in their life to be less depressed, less anxious, happier? Here's the thing. And that's a great question. The reason I like that is because it's something I speak on and talk about and think about a lot because it's my own, is that what is your why? Why is whatever changes you want to make, you know, like you said, be depressed, be less depressed. Or why are you doing it? Why is that change so important? If you're making the change to please someone else, if you're looking to, or because you believe it'll make you happy, you're going to have the wrong motivation. Happiness is short-lived. Happiness is dependent on circumstances and situations, but those circumstances are constantly changing. And that's why people end up with disorders and things, because what happens is they say, oh, if I could just make $1,000 more, I'll be happy. They make that $1,000 more, but they're not happy. So they think, oh, I'll make $2,000 more. Or worse than that is, oh, if I lose 10 pounds, they're still not happy. I now I need to lose 20 pounds. Next thing you know, they're struggling with anorexia and bulimia. If I would say what goal I think people should strive for is very simple and it's biblical. Be content. Strive for contentment, not happiness. They are two things, two different things. Happiness is circumstantial. Contentment is internal. Contentment says, even if I don't reach this goal, I have the peace in my spirit that I'm still good. I'm still okay. That it's not about what happens to me. Set a goal to be content in whatever that looks like. You can always want to improve your life, but recognize that those improvements are not going to make you happy. Those improvements are not going, the contentment has to be there. For, they're not for long, right? They will make you, they'll be like, okay, this feels good in the moment, but the next day you'll be like, oh, well, my life didn't change. My life is not going to change when I lose that 15 pounds, cat. Nothing about my life is going to change when I lose that 15 pounds. I'm okay if I don't. I want to do it, but if I don't, I'm okay. I'm content where I am. Seek contentment first. Seek it through God because only God can give that. Jesus tells us that he wants our joy to be full. And Paul himself said, in whatever situation I am in, I have learned therein to be content. He didn't say happy. But we know from scripture, Paul had a messed up life. <laughs> he was stoned. He was cast out. He was everything. But he was always content. So if I think if people, if the goal is contentment, everything else will follow. All these things will be added unto it. Something that we certainly want to support with Beautifully Rooted and this podcast, The Rooted and Edified Show, is helping people, helping their joy not be dependent upon people, circumstances, or things, but rather on Christ, right? We're, we have joy because we have Christ. So thank you for bringing that up. If we're jumped now into our scripture section, can you help review with us the scriptures that you mentioned or the one that came to mind that pertain to today's discussion? Yeah, I think the scripture I mentioned earlier kind of encapsulates everything we're talking. And again, it's 1 Corinthians 2 and 9. I have not seen nor ear heard, nor neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those that love him. So if you seek God first, he will give you everything that you need. And we can't even imagine what that looks like and the beauty of it. And I think that when you're looking at setting goals for your life, setting goals, beginning a new you, let that new you always begin with 
Christ. A couple that I was thinking of was Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained, speaking of Paul, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I realize that that refers to our spiritual well-being, but I think sometimes our goal should be in regards to our spiritual life. And I think, as, as I was saying before, that sp- our spiritual life is intertwined so much in our daily life. So that stuck out to me. Also, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. And I think that's one of the parts that stuck out to me. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And again, I know that, that refers to a spiritual context or spiritual life. But I think something to point out again is just, I do not run aimlessly. We don't just run aimlessly in life and just see what kind of happens all the time. There's goals that we work towards. We exercise self-control. One of the other verses I was thinking of was uh, Romans 12, 11, and that was because of energy. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And just as a reminder that believers, we are to have the most joy and the most life because our joy in our life is set upon Christ. We don't want to be in this place of blah. We want to think in terms of gray, but we don't live in terms of gray. We should have this zeal. We should have this excitement for life. We should have passion for goals in life. And that was just something that reminded me. And then lastly, because you were mentioning how, you know, new year, new you, and how we start anew is that we're a new creation in Christ. After all the things that are said today, you've given us some wonderful golden nuggets. We are so thankful. We feel so rich in wisdom and knowledge because of your golden nuggets. So thank you so much. That was super corny, but thank you so much. If you could pick one thing that you would want everybody to take away from this discussion today, what would be that one thing that you'd really want them to remember? I think the takeaway is to recognize that whether you like it or not, you're always changing. Life changes, we change. We're changing every single day from the moment we're born to the day we pass along. Don't get so caught up in worrying about the changes because they're going to happen anyway. Instead, focus on Christ and what he wants to do with you while you're here and recognize if you do that, the changes will always work to your benefit. I love that. That's a great reminder. We're going to change one way or another. Better to change for the good. Thank you again, Dr. Tracy Phillips, for joining us. What a wonderful blessing that you've given us by joining us today. We look forward to hearing from you from the, in the future, hopefully again. And thank you so much to all that are viewing or are listening to our podcast today. I'm so glad that you're tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and follow so that you don't miss anything. We will have interesting topics every single week. We come out on Tuesday with new episodes. Join us. Feel free to tell all your loved ones that you think might be interested about our show. We really appreciate the support. We're on most the major podcast platforms. We are also on social media. So we are on Facebook, we are on Instagram and on YouTube. So you can find our video podcast on YouTube. You will find some stuff that is not on just our audio podcast platforms. You will find little snippets of our videos that you can listen to on and that you can watch that are about a minute or two minutes long. You can find encouragements. You can find out different specials, different things about the organizations that our guests are part of. You can find out 
about different things that are on our Instagram and on our Facebook and on our YouTube that you won't just find on our podcast platform. So join us and spread the word. Thank you so much. If you wouldn't mind, if you would please close us out in prayer. Yes, definitely. Father God, first, I want to thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for Kat and Manny and what they're doing in your ministry, Lord God. They are they are so, Lord God, just focused on you and edifying your kingdom, Lord. So I know you honor that and you're pleased with that, Lord God. So thank you, Lord God, for the vision that you've given them. Thank you, Lord God, for just bringing us together and allowing this time to talk. I pray for everyone listening. I pray for everyone watching. I pray, Lord God, that you will speak to them, that you will plant seeds in them, that you will help them grow, Lord God, and most important, to grow closer to you. Lord, continue to bless us as we go into this new year, Lord God. Erase our fears, our anxieties, Lord God, and help us to live by faith, not by sight, in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your prayer. We really appreciate you joining us, and we will send you all off. Ciao. Bye-bye.